This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. This is Case Closed, which you can find every Wednesday at relicradio.com. Two stories, one hour, give or take, of old-time radio crime. Our first story this week is from Let George Do It. We'll hear the perfect specimen, his story from August 9th, 1948. After that, also from 1948, it's The Adventures of Sam Spade and the Rushlight Diamond Caper. That episode aired July 4th, 1948. Standard of California, on behalf of independent Chevron gas stations and standard stations throughout the West, invites you to Let George Do It. The Perfect Specimen, another adventure of George Valentine. Personal notice, danger is my stock and trade. If it's the kind of trouble you can't handle without confidential help, you've got a job for me, George Valentine. Write full detail. Dear Mr. Valentine, as a doctor, I've had to tell many people that they were doomed to die. Well, today, I was told the same thing myself. I was even informed of the time and the method. All the facts were there, except who is going to kill me and why. I suppose I should go to the police, but they would only scare the killer off. Next time, he may not be thoughtful enough to warn me. I, I don't know what you charge for a service like this. Charge for a service like this, but whatever it is, I'm willing and able to pay. My executioner hasn't allowed me much time, so you can understand I'm anxious that you meet me at my office as quickly as possible. It's signed Dr. Norman Penford. Hmm. Here, Brooksy, is something that makes no sense at all. Well, how can you say that, George? A man expects to be murdered, and the notion doesn't fill him with too much enthusiasm. I think that makes a lot of sense. It's the note within the note I'm talking about, Angel. Hmm? Yeah, why did the so-called executioner announce the date of the event and apparently supply a blueprint of his intentions? Is he some kind of a newborn fool? Well, maybe he's so sure of himself he thinks he can't get caught. Now, that's the kind of self-confidence I like to see in people, Brooksy. Except in murderers. What was the address of Dr. Penford's office again? Tell me, Dr. Penford, you're a surgeon, aren't you? Not a psychiatrist. That's, that's right, Mr. Valentine. Why do you ask? For a very good reason. Uh, the note Dr. Penford got. Uh, read it again, will you, Brooks? Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, notice of execution. Time, Tuesday night. Place, wherever you will be. Method, one unerring fatal shot. Executioner, someone who hates you very dearly. Guess who? Unsigned and typewritten. Yes, yes, I see what you mean. It does sound mad. Uh, doctor, can you think of any patient who'd go this length because of, uh, well, some kind of a grudge? No, 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 that's inconceivable. You know, this could be a crank note. Do you believe that, Miss Brooks? No, somehow I don't. Okay, let's start from scratch, doctor. Yes? Before I can do anything about this note, I've got to know something about you. Oh, there's not much to tell. I have my regular hours at the hospital and... I see a few people here at my office, which is just a part of my home. It's really an uneventful sort of grind, day in and day out, except... Yeah? Well, my son Eric is home from college for the summer. It makes this house a little brighter than usual. And your wife, Dr. Penn? I'm a widower, Miss Brooks. Uh, my wife died 21 years ago when Eric was born. Oh, I see. I suppose this picture on your desk is your wife's. What? This picture. Oh. Oh, I, I should have put that away. Wonderful to think that Eric never resented it being there. Why should he? Well, you see, this was my first wife. Oh. We're learning more and more, aren't we, Doctor? I, I didn't even think of telling you about Jane. Oh, Dr. Penford, in a case like this, when you don't know anything, everything becomes important. What about your first wife? Well, Jane and I were married less than two years. I, I haven't seen her since the divorce. The only reason I even know that she's still alive is that I, I send her an alimony check every month. I see. I, I met Eric's mother about a year later. I had a small practice in Kenton. That's a little mining town not far from here. Mm -hmm. All of which doesn't conjure up the figure of a crazed egotistical murderer. Yes, yes, I, I know. But as I said, my, my life has been rather humdrum. All right, Doctor, let me take it from there. From what I can read into this letter, I'd say that if the person who wrote it carries out his threat, it would be on Tuesday night, as promised. That's right, Valentine. And you're hiring me to see that it doesn't come off, as promised. If you can. Oh, Dad, Dad, I... I... Oh, 
Sorry, I didn't know you had patience. Oh, not at all, Eric. Uh, these are uh, uh, two friends. Uh, Miss Brooks, uh, Mr. Valentine, and uh, my son. Oh, Miss Brooks, well, Mr. Do? Valentine, I, I know I'm probably interrupting something, but look, Dad, how about doing the town with me tonight? We'll start with the country club, and then, well, who knows? Sorry, Eric, I'm, I'm afraid not. Now, what do I have to do to make him come out of his shell? Dad imagines I have a score of debutantes just waiting to make an evening of it with me. The truth is, I... Uh, Dad did say Miss Brooks, didn't he? His very word. Well, then, you you might care to join me. Eric. Oops, I, I didn't mean to go plowing through the bounds of propriety, but it seemed like an idea, an inspired idea, Miss Brooks. Oh, I'm sure it would have been fun, Eric, but uh, I had a few other ideas myself. Well, good try. Oh, nice to have met you, Mr. Valentine. Now I'd better go up and shower. Six sets of tennis in this sun is like a Turkish bath. See you later, Dad. Well, that's uh, quite a hunk of man you've got for a son, Dr. Penford. Isn't he, though? But uh, we seem to have gotten off the subject. Tomorrow is Tuesday. You may be sure I haven't forgotten. You understand, Doctor. I'll have to go about this any way I see fit. Of course. So I'll be in touch with you, then. We'd better get started, Booksy. I can't imagine why you're here, Mr. Valentine. I have only one interest in Norman Penford. The alimony check he sends me each month. Well, you're very frank, to say the least, Mrs. Penford. But we thought if you knew he was in danger, you'd be glad to give us some facts about his past. That it might help us... Oh, to... I can give you a beautiful fact that will help you to understand Norman perfectly. Yeah? Just after our son was born, Norman left us. And we haven't seen him since. But... But we just met Dr. Penford's son. He told us Eric was a child by his second marriage. Oh? He didn't mention anything about another son. It might have slipped his mind. Now, wait a minute. I want to get this straight. I Please, don't Please, see... Mr. Valentine, don't raise your voice. My son, Wesley, is working in the next room. He doesn't like to be disturbed while he's writing his book. Oh, Mother? Mother, who's there? Uh, oh, no one, Wesley. Uh, just some people. Friends of your father, as a matter of fact. Uh, Mr. Valentine, don't go in that room. My father? What are you talking about? Certainly you should be interested in your father if he happens to be in danger. Uh, Wesley, I, I, I try to keep these people from disturbing you. My name is Valentine. This is Miss Brooks. How do you do? Forgive me if I don't get up. Now, about my father. Go on. I don't feel I have one. As for his being in danger, Miss Brooks, you can understand my lack of concern. Yes, but... Now, I... get out, both of you. See? Now you've upset him. Uh, never mind the pen, Wesley. I I'll pick it up. Sorry. My father isn't really worth any such display of emotion on my part. Now, I would appreciate it if you left. Okay. That's the way you want it. I, I think you can find your own way out. I'm sure we can. Well, well that's what I call a beginning with all sorts of possibilities. Mm. Angel, I think this calls for some friendly cooperation from Lieutenant Riley. Valentine, I'm a public servant. I have a deep aversion to notes that threaten murder, but why, in the name of everything that's holy, didn't this doctor come straight to me? Oh, now you're not going to pout, Lieutenant. George explained all that. I can't take care of this thing myself, Lieutenant. It's a big brownstone house with plenty of ways of getting in and out. And I only have two eyes. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, for the love of... Yeah, Riley speaking. Yeah, let me have it. Well, how long has this been going on? Nine months. Twelve hundred and fifty in cash every month? Yeah, I see. Okay, uh, thanks a lot. Well, your hunch was right, Valentine. Dr. Penford's been drawing out twelve hundred and fifty dollars a month regularly for the last nine months, and in cash. Uh-huh. Wouldn't you say that smells slightly like blackmail? And the high heaven? You'll have those men, Valentine. Five of my best men. And once Dr. Penford comes home from dinner tomorrow night, no one will get in or out of that place without us knowing. Thank you, Lieutenant. Uh, hmm? Oh, uh, shut up. George, you mean all we're going to do now is wait till tomorrow? Oh, no, Booksy, no. You've got a date tonight. Have I? Oh, how nice. With Eric Penford. What made you change your mind and call me, Claire? Well, shall we call it a whim, Eric? 
No. Well, shall we say I just wanted to see the country club? No. <laughs> shall we say a girl can't always admit how she feels with other people present? Then you wanted to be alone with me tonight, didn't you, Claire? Uh, Eric, let's go back inside and dine. No. Please, my wrist. Nothing like this has ever happened to me before. You must know how beautiful you look now. Not unless someone tells me. You probably think I, I'm just another college kid home for the summer. Maybe you don't take me seriously. Oh, I didn't say that, Eric. Then what do you have to say? Eric, Now, I... don't be afraid of falling in love with me. I can take care of you, Claire. There won't be any question of money. There... There won't? I don't even have to go back to college. I get $1,250 a month come rain and shine. Well, that's a lot of money. Where does it come from? No, oh, that's not important, darling, but it'll always be there. I've taken care of that. What do you say, Claire? I don't know what to say. You've got to give me a few minutes to think it over. No, no, not with you around. That wouldn't be fair. Oh, Claire, darling. It won't be long. Yeah, Brooksy? I have only a minute to talk. Go on. Eric just told me he gets $1,250 every month. The exact amount Dr. Penford takes out in cash in the bank? Yes. Well, that's a new one for the book, Angel. A son blackmailing his own father. Return to tonight's adventure of George Valentine in just a moment. Meanwhile, a word about thrift. If upkeep for the family car has been putting too big a strain on your pocketbook, listen to this. It's a money-saving tip from Ben Franklin, a very real Ben Franklin who's a printer and who lives in San Francisco, California. Here's what Mr. Franklin says about RPM motor oil. Quote, I changed to RPM in 1941 and haven't spent a nickel on engine repairs since. Unquote. That's seven years without the need of engine repair. Try RPM motor oil starting tomorrow in your own car. RPM is compounded to keep your engine cleaner, to guard hot spots, to protect every inch of precision-made metal from its worst enemy, internal rust. No wonder this premium oil came out on top in a survey of Western motorists, preferred two to one over any other motor oil. So for longer car life with more economy... Switch to RPM motor oil tomorrow. Get it at standard stations and independent Chevron gas stations where they say and mean we'll take better care of your car. And now back to tonight's adventure of George Valentine. Well, when a respectable doctor hires you to protect him against a threatened murder summed up in a typewritten note, You'd think after that your client wouldn't be likely to lie to you. But instead of the one acknowledged son, you find there are two. And son number one is apparently blackmailing his own father for a fancy sum. So with time growing short, you make your way to the little mining town of Kenton. Mrs. Vishniowski, you've lived here in Kenton a long time. You remember Dr. Penford, don't you? Oh, a good doctor. A very good man. Too bad he not stay here. Well, maybe you remember his wife. Was he happily married? Married? Plenty girls wanted to marry doctor, but he was no married man when he lived here. Wait a minute, what's that? Are you sure? Oh, yes, yes, very sure. Of course I remember Dr. Penford, Mr. Valentine. Would you have any idea why he left, Mrs. Hogan? Well, confidentially, it was the morning after Annie Pulaski died, after having her child. Oh? Yes. And the boy died stillborn, too, Dr. Penford said. I'd swear that's what took the heart out of the poor man and made him leave town. Oh, thank you, Mrs. Hogan. Never forget that night. Mr. Hogan and I lived next to the Pulaski's at the time. I remember us saying to each other when we heard the little one cry out in the night, sure ain't it wonderful to hear the sound of new life coming into the world. I thought you said... That... I know, Mr. Valentine. The next morning, Dr. Penford told us the baby didn't even live to breathe. Well... Must have been our imagination. Yeah. Yeah, it must have been. Though I assure you, 
Mr. Valentine, no marriage license has ever been issued to Dr. Norman Penford. Not here in Kenton. Our records are very complete. I see. And you're also sure there's never been a birth certificate for an Eric Penford? Well, if there were, we'd have it here. Yes, indeed. Any other information? Yeah. When's the next train back to town? Penford, let's stop kidding each other. What do you mean? You've hired me to keep you from getting killed tonight. There's only a few hours before sundown, and you still want to go along with those lies you told me. Lies? Such as Eric being your son. You know that's a lie. What? Well, how, how do you know that? You never even had a second wife, Doctor. Valentine. Oh, yes, you gave me nothing to work on, so I had to find out these interesting little details for myself. Those couple of years you spent in Kenton told me a lot. Now, just who is Eric? I... Is he the I... son of Annie Pulaski? Well, Doctor... You left suddenly the next day. All right, Valentine. I, I took the child. It was wrong, but think of the things that I gave him. He, he never wanted for anything. What would he have had in Kenton? Life in an orphanage? And then facing a world that was against him every inch of the way? Oh, no, I, I saved him from all that. Yes, yes, very fine motives, Doctor. You took a boy who wasn't your own, called him your son, gave him every opportunity... Still, you haven't seen or spoken to your real son for more than 20 years. Wesley? What, what do you know about him? Just something else I found out. Oh. Well, the truth is, Valentine, I, I never thought of Wesley as my son. He, he belonged to his mother, and I left it that way. And then when I thought I could have a son like Eric, I, I couldn't resist the temptation. He's repaying you beautifully, isn't he? What? What's that? He's holding you up, isn't he, Dr. Fanford? He knows he's not your son. Oh, there were so many lies to tell. And he kept digging and probing. And it had to come out at last. $1,250 a month. Why don't you go and tell him where to head in? Oh, it's not that easy, Valentine. I've boasted of that boy all his life. How strong and tall and beautiful he is. You just don't let a truth like this come to life all of a sudden. All right, all right. We got that all straight. Now, how does it tie up with that note? It doesn't. It has nothing to do with it. That could be another lie, Doctor. But it isn't, Valentine. This, this thing between Eric and me is entirely personal. I'll never admit to another living soul that he's been blackmailing me. And about tonight, all I know is what I've told you, and I... Oh, I need your help. You wouldn't walk out on me now, would you? No, no. Tonight you're going to get every protection a man can expect. But tomorrow morning, get yourself another boy or talk it out with the police. Thanks, Valentine. I'm, I'm just worried about tonight. Not still working, Dad. You, you ought to take a little time off. Oh, oh, hello, Valentine. Hi. Swell swimming at the pool today. I couldn't find anybody to give me any real competition. You never can. I understand, Eric, that you're also on the boxing team up at college. Oh, it's nothing. I, I just happen to have a left jab that seems to hit in the right place at the right time. <laughs> you mean something like this? <laughs> What are you trying to do? Oh, maybe a right cross like this. Can't... Oh! Mr. Mr. Valentine! Dad, what's he trying to do? What's happening here? That, Eric, was to make up for all the times your dad didn't take you across his knees. Don't worry about tonight, Doctor. I'll be around. How you doing, Valentine? Ah, the good Lieutenant Riley. Your presence makes this quite an occasion. Oh, I just wanted to make sure you were happy with our service. If you were displeased, you know, you might decide not to put your confidence in the police department again. The subtlety of your sarcasm, Lieutenant, is a beautiful thing. But kidding aside, yeah, the way you've got your men planted, I can't see how anybody can get in that house without being seen. <laughs> oh, it's nothing. It's just a little trick I learned after more than 20 years on the force. I even have Hennessy trailing Penford to his restaurant. Oh, I didn't miss that either. Thanks. I told the doctor to accept no calls and hold her for the night. Once he's inside, he's as good as sealed up. Nobody will be able to get at him. Well, if you want me, I'll be hanging around for a while in the patrol car down the street.
Oh, here you are, George. Here's a sample of all the letters on Dr. Penford's typewriter. Good, good. Let's get over here under the street lamp. Oh, hey, wait a minute, George. Isn't that the doctor coming home now? Yeah, yeah, so it is. Is is that you, Valentine? (laughs) Yes, we've met before, remember, Doctor? Oh, I guess my mind was wandering. Good work. You don't know what a difference it makes to know that you're on the job. Good night. George, Dr. Penford didn't seem himself at all. He's always so careful and precise in his manner. Well, in his place, how would you feel on a night like this, Angel? Come on, let's get back under that street lamp. George, that's the threatening note Dr. Penford received. I thought that's why you wanted me to use his typewriter. How do you like this, Brooksy? The E's are all the same. And the broken corner on the W's and the O's slightly higher than the rest of the line. Eric, he would have had access to the typewriter. No time for guessing games. I've got to get to the lieutenant. Yes. Sorry to disturb you, lieutenant. Huh? But something new has been added. What's that? The note Dr. Penford received was written on his own typewriter. What, what are you talking about? That's a fact, Lieutenant. Uh, stay parked right here where you are, Miller. I'll be right back. Yes, sir. Come on, Lieutenant. We'd better talk to Penford. And fast. Dr. Penford? Dr. Penford. There's a light in his office. Georgie. Yeah. Let's have a look at him. Why don't... I can still feel his pulse. Miss Brooks, get on the phone. Call an ambulance. Okay. I don't see any gun around, Lieutenant, but he was shot. Oh, that's impossible, Valentine. Nobody could have come in this house without us seeing him. And I know he was all right a few minutes ago when we talked to him. I don't like repeating myself, but this is impossible. Still, it happened. I'm... I'm all right now, Lieutenant. Doctor, for the love of heaven, what made you do a thing like that to yourself, huh? You... you guessed it, didn't you, Valentine? How? Well, the lieutenant here kept saying impossible. No one could have gotten in to shoot you. So I accepted that simple fact. It was impossible. And that only left you, Doctor. Hmm. And I thought there couldn't possibly be a flaw. You were shot before you arrived at the house. That's why you were so vague about things, so anxious to get inside. Doctor, how did you know you weren't just going to drop dead in the street? Well, I was I was pretty sure. If a doctor thinks about it long enough, he can find a way of shooting himself and still have a reprieve from death for an hour or so. What? I shot myself just under the ribs, upward, toward the liver. Then I got rid of the gun. The bleeding, you see, would be internal. And I knew with enough effort I could... I could make my way home. And the verdict would be murder, Doctor. Isn't that why you hired me in the first place? Yes. Look, Doctor, I know this isn't the time for a lot of questions, but... I still want to know why you did it. Insurance, Lieutenant. They wouldn't pay off on suicide, but they would on murder. It was very important that somebody get that money to make up for, oh, so many, many things. It may have seemed as simple as that to you, Dr. Penford, but it was all wrong. The only way you could have made it up to your son was to be alive. My son, he he probably wishes me dead. You can't blame him. I don't think any of us can understand what really is going on in Wesley's mind. I'm, uh, I'm just a simple cop, Doctor. But if you loved your son so much, why did you ever leave him? Why all this business with Eric, who isn't even your own flesh and blood? Let's just say it's a way a man thinks sometimes when he doesn't know any better. Oh, George, we're huh? here. Is it all right to come in? Yeah, come on in, Brooksy. Maybe now you can understand how your son feels, Dr. Penford. Wesley. Yes, Father. You, you cared enough to come. I wanted you to know I'm glad it didn't work out the way you planned. I, I left you and your mother when you needed me most. How can you forgive me? How can you ever understand that? It isn't as difficult as you think, Father. 
It's just like when I sit down to write, I want things I say to come out beautiful. When they don't, I feel ashamed and want to run away. You must have felt like that when I was born. Oh, uh, What is it, Wesley? Would it be all right if I could be alone with my father? Huh? Why, of course, young man, sure. Thank you. Mr. Valentine, would you wheel me over to his bed? Brooksy, it's strange the things you don't think of when you're on a case. What do you mean, darling? Well, when we first saw Wesley, for instance, remember how he pardoned himself for not getting up from the desk when we came in? Mm. Then when he dropped his pen, how his mother rushed to pick it up for him so he wouldn't have to move? Hmm. Strange the things you can't possibly think of or even imagine. Hmm? I mean, a father feeling that way about a crippled child. Well, it's not an easy thing to justify, Angel. I suppose it's as Dr. Penford himself put it. It's the way a man thinks sometimes when he doesn't know any better. Yes. And when you pin all your faith on a perfect physical specimen like Eric, and he turns out to be a gold-plated heel, you begin to wonder what you've done with your life. Then you dream up a last desperate scheme to undo a terrible wrong. I wonder if it's possible for the Penfords to find any real happiness after all these years. Well, it looks that way, Brooksy, if you can believe this note I just got. It winds up, thanks for everything, signed... Norman, Jane, and Wesley. It's the second day of your vacation trip, and you're all set for some more happy motoring miles. But your car isn't. Feeble battery. Or maybe just a plain dead battery. To avoid such a bleak moment, better get preventive service before you start out at your independent Chevron gas station or standard station. They'll be glad to test the battery's water level, terminal, cables. If it's a new battery you need, to assure instant starts wherever you motor, they have a quality Atlas that's made exactly for your make and model of car. On Atlas batteries, you'll find certified power capacity embossed where you can read it. Certified power that exceeds the requirements of the Society of Automotive Engineers. Atlas batteries for passenger cars are warranted for 21 months or more. So don't wait for your car's battery to let you down flat and unexpectedly. Get superior battery service tomorrow at a standard station or independent Chevron gas station where they say and mean we'll take better care of your car. Next week, when you tune our way for another adventure of George Valentine, you'll hear... We're up against a remarkably agile ghost, Brooksy. I got tapped on the head twice before I could even turn on a light. But where did this this thing go? It couldn't get out. Oh, all I know is somebody tried to give me the same kind of scalp massage the late Mr. Mitchell got. Oh, what goes on here? I don't know, Brooksy, I don't know. But we're not leaving this haunted Victorian nest until we find the answer to that very pertinent question. Adventure of George Valentine has been brought to you by Standard of California on behalf of independent Chevron gas stations and Standard stations throughout the West. Let George Do It stars Robert Bailey as George with Francis Robinson as Claire. Wally Mayer appears as Lieutenant Riley. Tonight's story was written by David Victor and Herbert Little Jr. and directed by Don Clark. Also heard in the cast were Herbert Rawlinson as Dr. Penford, High Aberback as Eric. Noreen Gamille as Mrs. Penford, Don Diamond as Wesley, and Martha Wentworth as Mrs. Hogan. The music is composed and conducted by Eddie Dunstetter. Your announcer, John Heaston. Listen again next week, same time, same station, to Let George Do It.
Mutual Don Lee Broadcasting System. The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective. Brought to you by Wild Root Cream Oil Hair Tonic. The non-alcoholic hair tonic that contains lanolin. Wild Root Cream Oil. Again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. Sam Spade, Detective Agency. Good evening. That sounds funny in dialect. Good evening to you and happy 4th of July, Bernadine Hampton. Oh, Mr. Spade. What was the caper? Don't you mean caper? No, the caper. The high point of the caper. The climax, the crescendo, the pinafore. Now, that's better. For a minute, I was afraid you were uh, learning English. Oh, no. I'm studying Spanish. Soy infeliz que inicia... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mucho interesting. (laughs) Gracias. Shall I go home now? No, uh, mal suerte. There's a little matter of murder in two languages, neither of which is Spanish, so stay where you are. I'll be right down to dictate my report on the Rushlight Diamond Caper. Dashiell Hammett, America's leading detective fiction writer and creator of Sam Spade, the hard-boiled private eye, and William Spear, radio's outstanding producer-director of mystery and crime drama, join their talents to make your hair stand on end with the adventures of Sam Spade. Presented by the makers of Wild Root Cream Oil for the hair. Listen, men, to this holiday tip on good grooming. To help spark up your whole appearance, first be sure that your hair is well-groomed. Be sure it's groomed with popular Wild Root Cream Oil hair tonic. Wild Root Cream Oil grooms your hair neatly and naturally, the way you like it, the way she likes it. Wild Root Cream Oil also relieves annoying dryness, removes loose, ugly dandruff. So look your best all the time by sprucing up right with Wild Root Cream Oil hair tonic. Again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. And now, with Howard Duff starring as Spade, Wild Root brings to the air the greatest private detective of them all in the adventures of Sam Spade. Date, July 4, 1948, to Mrs. May Rushlight, 21A, Granite Court, from Samuel Spade, license number 137596. Subject, the uh, Rushlight Diamond. Dear Mrs. Rushlight, it was the kind of nice, relaxing assignment that comes my way just often enough to remind me that gum showing can be respectable. There was an air of quiet elegance about 21A, Granite Court, and about the butler who answered the door. He uh, took in my rented gray topper and doeskin gloves, nodded approvingly at my wing collar, watered silk ascot, pearl gray waistcoat, morning coat, pinstripe trousers, and my spats with the mother of pearl buttons, and asked me if I were a florist. I set him to rights, and he led me up a flight of stairs to the early a.m. annex of your morning room. Mr. Samuel Spade. You're just on time, Mr. Spade. Mrs. Rushlight would be pleased. I'm Nancy Ward, Mrs. Rushlight's social secretary. And if you don't think that's tough to say, try it. Uh, Mrs. Rushlight's social... Well, what's tough about that? Uh, you'll do. Definitely, you'll do. Shall we dance? I will dance at her wedding. But don't get me wrong. I'm not secretly in love with Ralph Rushlight, and the bride is lovely. Just hate to see all that money going down the drain. Is there anything else you think I should know? You know what your job is. You're supposed to guard the wedding presents. That's simple because it's nothing but a lot of cheap silver. And stay away from the champagne. It's non-vintage. The food will be foul. The guests are the most dismal aggregation ever assembled. Sounds like a lovely party. I arranged the whole thing. I told you she's a lovely bride. What's she ever do to you? I'd rather not stay. I don't want to sound bitter. This way, Mr. Spade. The old hat. Mrs. Rushlight will see you now. Thank you, Florence Nightingale. Nancy? Oh. This is it, darling. Mr. Spade, come over here, young man, so I can get a better look at you. How's this? Hmm, good. Turn around. Yes, you'll do. Uh, that'll be all, Nancy. Oh, couldn't I be finishing up these place cards while you talk? Take them with you. Do them outside. Very well. <laughs> Nosy girl. But nice. Nice nose. Oh, you too, eh? Well, I agree. That's why I'm marrying off my nephew to that wretched girl, Lotta Van Eyck. Have you ever seen Bugs Bunny, Mr. Spade? You don't mean the... They protrude. The ears? No, the teeth. 
As my late husband used to say of her mother, she could eat a tomato through a tennis racket. There's only one thing that'll prevent this wedding from being an utter disaster. She doesn't understand much English. Uh Uh-huh. What's the matter with your nephew? A great deal, but it doesn't show. Suffice it to say, he has criminal tendencies and the mentality of a snail. Mrs. Rushlight, I don't like to seem forward, but why are you telling me all this? Oh, you're, you're supposed to mingle with the guests. You'll need some conversation. Now, as to your assignment. The bride, being what she is, the wedding presents are hardly worth guarding except <clears throat> for one. Ironically enough, it's from me. What is it, a machine gun? Oh, 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 oh that's good. Oh, oh, excuse me, I must write that down. And then tear it up immediately. <laughs> oh, dear. No, no, Mr. Spade. But it's bad luck, the Rushlight Diamond. You've heard of it? Uh, something about it in the American Weekly a while back, wasn't it? Yes, yes. It's not as large as the Hope Diamond, but there's not a flaw in it. My late husband, Roy Rushlight, bought it for his first wife. She sank with the SS General Slocum in Hellgate, the East River, 194, over a thousand lives lost. Luckily, she was wearing a paste copy at the time. I was only a young girl when I married Mr. Rushlight, and... Oh, fool that I was. I signed anything his lawyers asked me to sign. After his death, I discovered that the diamond was to be mine only until the marriage of my husband's male heir, at which time it must go to his bride. Well, that's too bad. Uh, You say, though, that the rushlight diamond is bad luck. Oh. Oh, there's that, of course. (laughs) I wonder if it's too much to hope. Hmm. Well, I must go and help dress the bride. Go along downstairs, Miss Spade. Take this jewel case with you. Put it on the table with the other presents and guard it well. So I took the old velvet-covered case you held out to me and checked the contents. It was an old-fashioned lavalier with a clear stone pendant only slightly smaller than an eight ball. Didn't look like a diamond, but smooth-cut diamonds hardly ever do. It didn't look like bad luck either, but a mirror broke in the hall as I passed it, then I fell all the way down the stairs, and as I entered the ballroom, I knocked over a punch bowl. Nothing uh, really terrible happened until just before dark when the guests began to arrive. In theory, a detective guarding wedding presents is supposed to make himself indistinguishable from the other guests. In practice, it never works out that way. He has to spend most of his time within sight of the booty, so he is very easily spotted. I don't believe it. He's too good-looking. Oh, but he must be. He's not anybody we know. Well, ask him. It's leap year. Oh, here comes Colonel Bixby. He'll know. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Beauty gathered round the booty, eh? <laughs> and much more beauty than booty, though. <laughs> yeah. Say, when are they going to hang the diamond on that drip? No, no, there's no way to talk about the blushing bride. Is that it in the crummy old case there? That case is heirloom, young lady. The stone that reposes in it is worth a king's ransom. Now take your grubby hands elsewhere. Be off with you. Go on. Well, just because he's going to give the bride away, he thinks he can order everyone around. Uh, Mr. Spade, allow me to congratulate you, sir. For these affairs, one all too often sees the detective on guard duty at the punch bowl. I was forewarned. Oh, yes, very bad champagne. Flat. (laughs) I'll be glad when these ill-starred nuptials are consummated. And by the way, Bixby's my name, Colonel Lysander Bixby. Colonel? It's my melancholy and thankless duty to give the bride away to the hapless groom, Ralph Rushlight. However, it's much better to give than to receive. <laughs> you tell that to May Rushlight, eh? Uh, quite a trinket. Ah, uh, 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 <laughs> mustn't touch grubby hands, remember? Oh, <laughs> sense of humor as well as sense of duty, eh? Candidly, if I knew a place to fence it, I'd be the... Colonel Bixby. Oh, Miss Ward. How lovely you look. Poor Ralph. Mrs. Rushlight asked me to warn you to get ready. The bride will be down any moment. Good grief. Well, I suppose I must steal myself. Where did I leave my glass? Keep your eye on that old goat, Mr. Spade. I don't trust him. Who is he? He's the only one here who knows why this wedding's happening. He's the bride's foster father. You mean he's got something on the family? You'll never know how much until you kiss the bride. Look, Nancy, it's none of my business, but I... Oh, starting. I'd like to go in now. Now, wait. What? Uh, How does it go? Uh, Speak now or forever hold your peace? No, I, I can't do that. Thank you for understanding. I didn't witness the ceremony, but judging from the mood of those who had, it was just as well I didn't. 
They shuffled back into the ballroom, looking as if they'd witnessed an execution. Nobody seemed to be in a hurry to join the receiving line. After a few half-hearted handshakes, the groom left the bride standing alone, looking kind of bewildered, and came over to take inventory of the presents. Look at that junk. I'm Ralph Brushlight. Who are you? Spade. I was hired to guard this junk, as you call it. Sorry I'm wasting my time. The Rushlight time. It's bad luck. Look at what it did to me. Look at it. Did you ever see anything? Give it to yourself. Why should I? Because I'm liable to slap you clear across this room. Haven't I been punished enough? Go on, go on, scram. Keep your hooks off that necklace. That's mine. I heard it's your wife's. Come along, well, you heard dear. wrong. Come along over here. Oh, Mr. Spade, you haven't met the bride yet, have you? Uh, no. Thank you. I, uh, uh, I wish you a lot of luck, Mrs. Rushlight. You're going to need it. Thank you. Well, I suppose now as well as any time, Colonel. Oh, very well, my dear. Uh, quiet, please. Mm. Quiet, everyone. Uh, Mrs. Rushlight, the old, uh, the elder Mrs. Rushlight, that is, has something to say to you. Mr. Spade. Yes? The necklace, will you please hand it to me? With pleasure. I'm tired of looking at it. Oh, you're not done yet. <laughs> Stay close by my side. <coughs> Dear friends, at this solemn moment, I want, first of all, to welcome this dear little girl into the Rushlight family. Thank you. Yes. Uh, and now, dear Lotta, I will place around your neck the gem which was my heritage when I became a Rushlight and which is now yours. Thank you. Oh, what's wrong? Lotta, come back here. Lotta! I'll go out to the carport and hit her off. Oh, you leave her alone. I'll take care of her. Whose wife is she, anyhow? Lotta, come back here. Lotta, bring it back! I was almost ashamed of joining the chase, but I had to because I'd been hired to guard the Rushlight Diamond, and for my money, the best way to do that was to help her get away. <laughs> Somebody got to her before I did. A strip of wedding gown satin marked the spot. The body lay crumpled under a hedge, but it wasn't the bride's body. It was the groom. He'd been stabbed to death with a pair of garden shears, which made sense. But what didn't make sense was that the necklace she'd been wearing was still clutched in his hand. The makers of Wild Root Cream Oil are presenting the weekly Sunday adventure of Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, Sam Spade. If you want the well-groomed look that helps you get ahead socially and on the job, listen. Recently, thousands of people from coast to coast who bought Wild Root Cream Oil for the first time were asked, how does Wild Root Cream Oil compare with the hair tonic you previously used? Better than four out of five who replied said they preferred Wild Root Cream Oil. And no wonder. Wild Root Cream Oil grooms the hair neatly and naturally, relieves annoying dryness, and removes loose dandruff. What's more, non-alcoholic Wild Root Cream Oil is the only leading hair tonic that contains soothing lanolin. So ask for Wild Root Cream Oil Hair Tonic. Again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. By the way, smart girls use Wild Root Cream Oil too, and mothers say it's grand for training children's hair. And now, back to the Rushlight Diamond Caper. Tonight's adventure with Sam Spade. Number 21A Granite Court was teeming with motives and suspects. But the police were primarily interested in locating Lotta, the missing bride and widow of Ralph Rushlight. So was I. She looked like less work than the rest of you because if she had killed him, it was self-defense if she knew enough English. By 10 in the a.m., when I checked in at my office, she was still successfully eluding the police dragnet. That was because nobody, including me, had thought of looking in my office. Wow. Good morning. Thank you. Is that all the English you know? Thank you, no. I want my necklace. The police have it. You go with me. Tell them who I am. Okay, but first, I have to know who you are. Where you came from, what your connection with Colonel Bixby is. I am in Macassar, being born. 
In Macassar. Dutch colony. Uh-huh. My father, there seven years ago, dying is. When I, 13 years old, have arrived. I see. Colonel Bixby in San Francisco, the financial representative from my father, us. I am adopted to him, not for a father, but so he takes care of my monies, which coming of age am I a rich Dutch woman. Uh-huh. But legally, he's your foster father. Yeah. Also, legally, I'm not a wife of Rushlight. I want my necklace. You married him for the necklace? Yeah. Why did he marry you? For one half of necklace and we sell. But all, everything to take he wishes. You and Ralph were going to divvy the take from the Rushlight diamond, you thought. Yeah, yeah. And what was the colonel going to get? Money's for Mrs. Rushlight. Oh, now, wait, that doesn't make sense. Mrs. Rushlight stood to lose a small fortune by that marriage. Why should she pay the colonel to promote it? You the detective, ah? Huh? You said that. Where my necklace are, that I say. Yeah, well, look, I'm not as sure as I was. Uh, wait just a minute, I'll uh, check on it. <clears throat> Homicide, Lieutenant Dundee. Uh, Spade, Dundee. Uh, yes, Sam. What's new on the rushlight caper? Oh, you know I can't talk about the case, Sam. Oh, I got a line on that girl. Oh, where is she? You know I can't talk about that, Dundee. Oh, you can't, can't you? Well, let's see if this doesn't change your mind. The necklace we found on Rushlight's body was a phony, a face copy. Uh-huh. Does that make her guiltier than she was before? Well, now she's got a motive. Throws all our previous theories into a cocked hat. Now, where's the girl? She's in my office, Lieutenant, dear. Come and get her. Thank you. you, Sam. Back again? Yeah, do you mind? Well, that depends on who you came to see. You, sweetheart. But uh, first, I'd like to talk to Mrs. Rushlight. Well, she can't see anyone. She's in a state of nervous collapse over the... over Ralph's death. Oh, that's too bad. You uh, seem to be holding up pretty well. Well, I'm relieved. He's better off dead than married to that... Yeah. Rushlight Diamond's still unlucky, you know. What do you mean by that? I was just trying it on for size. Uh-huh. Now, does it fit? Yeah, but uh, you and Mrs. Rushlight are about the same size. Her uh, nerves getting any better? You're the doctor. If you want to see her, go ahead. She's up there. Thank you. <laughs> Mrs. Rushlight! I'm sorry to break in on you like this, but I haven't got much time. How dare you? Nancy! Nancy! Twice that girl. Mr. Spade, please leave me alone with my grief. Funny thing. Yesterday, Nancy was carrying a torch for Ralph, and you were holding the torch to him. Today, it's different. Oh, good heavens. You you don't think I'm grief-stricken over Ralph. Good. That's one less mystery. Mr. Spade, what do you want? Your nephew's killer. Oh. Does it matter? It does to me. Somebody getting knocked off right under my nose is bad for private detectives everywhere. Oh. (laughs) For a moment, I thought that... Say, wouldn't you rather make some more money? I refuse to marry Lotta. Oh, no, nothing like that. It's the necklace, Mr. Spade, the genuine. What is? I don't know. All I know is the other one isn't. Who told you that? Well... Why, the p- police? No, it's, it's in the papers, isn't it? Not yet. Well, how else would I learn? The murderer is the only one who could have told you, unless you're the murderer. I see. Very well, Mr. Spade. I'll tell you what I know. I'm not as wealthy as you might think. In, in, in fact, I have for four years lived from pillar to post, from hand to mouth, ragtag and bobtail struggling to make ends meet. Yeah, what you mean is you're eking out a meager existence, keeping your head above water, one jump ahead of the sheriff, stalked by the grim specter of poverty. Is that right? Oh, how well you put it. In fact, Mr. Spade, I'm something of a crook. I've borrowed large sums of money from Colonel Bixby, putting up as collateral something that was not mine to forfeit. Uh Uh-uh, don't tell me. Let me guess. Uh, was the rushlight diamond? Well, you seem to know everything. All but one thing. Why did you think you could palm off a paste copy on an operator like Bixby? He sent you here. I I won't tell you another single thing. Well, then I'll tell you a few things. The only way the Rushlight Diamond could be transferred legally into the hands of Colonel Bixby was by tricking Ralph into marriage with Lotta. 
since Ralph's wife automatically became the legal owner. With Ralph dead, Bixby would be in line to inherit the diamond from her. Inherit? California state law. Foster parent may inherit from a foster child in absence of any direct heir. Well, why then, then he planned. He, he, he'd kill her too. M- Mr. Spade, we must stop him. She's safe for the time being. I had her thrown into the pokey. They can hold her 48 hours for questioning, but they can hold you longer. They can even hold you as an accessory before the fact. Why? Why, I, I didn't know he was going to kill anyone. Lotta was just going to hand over a million-buck diamond to Bixby out of the kindness of her heart? Oh, no. Lotta wanted to become an American citizen. Marriage is the quickest way. For her, Ralph was the only way. Okay, I'll buy that. Now, tell me honestly, Mrs. Rushlight, what happened to the genuine stone? I honestly didn't know. I wasn't sure. But now there can be only one answer. Nancy with the laughing face? She went with me when I went to the bank vault to get the Rushlight diamond to present to Lotta after the ceremony. Uh-huh. She looked after <clears throat> all my jewels, including the paste copy that I habitually wore. Homicide, Lieutenant Dundee. Uh, Spade again, Dundee. I, uh... I think I got the rushlight caper all wrapped up. I'm heading for your office now, so wait for me. And whatever you do, don't let that lot of dame out of your sight. Thank you. Goodbye. Wait a minute, Sam. Wait a minute. Yeah? The lot of dame. She's already gone. Escaped? Bailed out. Custody of her foster father. Wait a minute. I got the name here, sir. Bixby. He's a colonel, and no wonder you're only a lieutenant. Uh, Mr. Spade, can't you stay for tea? Not thirsty. Nancy! Nancy, where are you? Oh, here I am, Sam. I-, I was waiting for you. You got the keys to that car out in front? Why, yes. Do you want to borrow it? Yes, with you in it. Why, Sam, where did I put my face on? Let it go. It's as good as lost anyway. Come on. What is this place? you taking me? Never mind. Just hang on. I'll fly you up to the second floor. <laughs> Sam, that was a shot that sounded like Lotta. You stay here. Don't come in until I call you. Spade, what are Get you doing? Get back in there. Oh, Drop it. No. Drop it or I'll crack your elbow. Oh. That's better. Now sit down. I want to look this over. Looks real cute. Uh-huh. Powder burns, gun beside the chair, and what's this? Well, 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 a note in Dutch. It's a suicide note. She killed herself. I can almost believe that. You've handled this very well, considering the bad breaks you've had. Only one thing wrong. Do I scent a bargain? I don't have to bargain. I've got the diamond. All you've got is two murders wrapping on your thick noggin. Don't be absurd. I know who has the real necklace. Then you better talk to her directly. You can come in now. Sam, was that... <gasps> Oh, that poor, homely little dame. What did she ever do? Stop. You're breaking my heart. She committed suicide. You know better than that. She committed suicide. If the colonel's price is right. Oh, I see. I'll put it to you directly. It's not easy to fence. It'll have to be cut. That'll decrease the value considerably. Say, uh, $10,000. No questions asked. Pardon me. That suicide shot, it's ringing in my ears. I can't hear you. Uh, 20000 50 all right, a hundred thousand. Sam, don't be a fool. Take it. I'll give you a real break, Colonel. That's the cops coming after you. No, anything, Spade. What do you want me to do? I want you to try and get out of here. What are you going to do? There's the door. Go ahead. All right. I... Thank you, Colonel. All right, men, remember, he's desperate. Big speed. We're giving you a chance. Come down or we're coming up after you. Come on. Come on, get up, Colonel. Here he comes. Kevin, it may be a trick. Watch it, Dundee. Here he comes. And that, Mrs. Rushlight, is the crop. A man that went down fighting, Colonel Bixby, didn't need much persuading once they got him under the lights down at headquarters. He confessed to everything, and the murders weren't the worst of it, the way I figured. The worst of it was the cruel way he victimized the poor little ugly duckling, Lotta Van Eyck. It's tough enough to be whipped before you start. Period, and a report. My goodness, that was Louis Triste. 
Uh, I mean, I'm beginning to see why Effie gets so repressed sometimes. Effie, depressed? That little doll told you that? Only between she and I and the lamppost. She's so sensitive, you know. Not like I, of course. I invariably cry at weddings. You don't say, Bernadine. Uh, you attend uh, weddings often? Hmm? With high frequency, Mr. Spade. You mean frequently? No, no. The last time it was FM. You know, frequency moderation. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> moderation in all things, I always say. You mean you attend radio weddings? Oh, yeah. I've been married six times. My next date is television. You've been married six times? Well, to each his own, Mr. Spade. You mean six men have... Oh, no. No, I only marry my husband. Repetition is the spice of variety, I always say. Is that legal? If it's not after six weddings, what isn't? <laughs> to uh, each his own, as you say. Well, we don't presume to make a career out of it. As soon as we get the mangler and the deep freeze, we're gone on our honeymoon. Well, congratulations, and uh, type this up when you have the time. Mrs. Uh, Bernadine Hemp. <laughs> Every day, more and more men are turning to Wild Root Cream Oil for truly handsome hair. And that's not surprising, for what other leading hair tonic gives you these big advantages? It grooms the hair neatly and naturally, relieves dryness, removes loose dandruff. What's more, Wild Root Cream Oil is non-alcoholic and contains soothing lanolin. No wonder Wild Root Cream Oil is the favorite with so many millions of smart, particular men. Get Wild Root Cream Oil again and again... The choice of men who put good grooming first. Well, here it is, Mr. Spade. I'm sorry it took so long, but I kept relapsing into Spanish. Yes, I know how And Effie's typewriter doesn't have any upside-down question marks. Upside down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Take a memo. Call typewriter man. I already have. Oh, um, I almost forgot. You received a telegramic commutation. A telegramic what? A wire. Oh, a wire. Well, open it and read it. In English, por favor. Uh, it says, uh, Dear Sam. Figures. In the haste of my departure, I neglected to warn you about ver... Well, when I do that one another favor, she'll have silver threads. Who? That ball of fire whom I'm taking the place of in order to be double-crossed of by... Effie? Is she uh, still in far-off Canab? And good rubbish, if you'll pardon the expression. Oh, Bernadine, let me see that. Hmm. I, uh, <clears throat> I neglected to warn you about Bernadine. I'm sending details, airmail special, but in the meantime, whatever you do, don't go to any radio broadcast with her, and if she comes to work in a wedding gown, take the day off. Love, Effie. And I had two tickets for honeymoon payoff, and now she went and spoiled everything. Oh, now there, Bernadine, you just have to marry your husband again, that's all. I wouldn't have had the time anyway. I know, it's just the principle. Good night, Mr. Spade. Good night, uh, buenas noches, hasta la vista. Effie, why did you ever leave me? <laughs> The Adventures of Sam Spade, Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, are produced and directed by William Spear. Sam Spade is played by Howard Duff. The Adventures of Sam Spade are written for radio by Bob Tallman and Gil Dowd, with musical direction by Lud Gluskin. Gil Dowd directed tonight's broadcast in William Spear's absence. Join us again next Sunday for another adventure with Sam Spade. Brought to you by Wild Root Cream Oil. Again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. This is Dick Joy reminding you to... Get Wild Root Cream Oil, Charlie. It keeps your hair in trim. You see, it's non-alcoholic, Charlie. It's made with soothing lanolin. You better get Wild Root Cream Oil, Charlie. Start using it today. You'll find that you will have a tough time, Charlie. Keeping all the gals away. Hiya, Baldy. Get Wild Root right away. 
This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That's Case Closed for this week. You can find more from Let George Do It, Sam Spade, Case Closed, all the other Relic Radio podcasts, and thousands of other old-time radio episodes at relicradio.com. You'll find our shoutcast stream there up and running as well, and you can donate through the website. Help support all of this by clicking on one of the links or visit donate.relicradio.com. It'll take you to the donate page. It'll show you some downloadable sets for certain donation amounts, though any amount is always appreciated and helpful. Thanks to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me today. Be back next Wednesday with another hour of Case Closed. Closed.